Welcome back to Desert Rain Community Radio, Dispatches from the Verge. Today, David Morrison and I sit down to talk about Advent. We're doing a four-part series leading up to Christmas. And today's uh, part one, we look at Advent's uh, historical significance, uh, spiritual significance, and... Uh, the role it plays for us today. But before we get into that, thank you to Diego at Recording Moving Studios. He does all the editing and sound engineering. Thank you to Jacob at Monk Drums. That's what you hear in the background. If you want to learn more about Desert Rain Community, check out theruined.com. For other episodes of Dispatches from the Verge or Road to Desert Rain, check out drcrpod.com. If you're enjoying this, please tell a friend, either via word of mouth or social media. That really helps us. We appreciate you, and let's get into it. Welcome to... Desert Rain Community <laughs> Radio. I don't know why that was funny. <laughs> I don't know either. It's that awkward pause. Okay. Uh, um, <laughs> dispatches from the Verge, Desert Rain Community Re- uh, Radio. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, Mr. David. Day here in the fall. Um. So we're going to talk about Advent today. All right. We're doing a a series for all the listeners. Um, we actually did some some show prep yeah, for once in our that. life. <laughs> um, so we're going to do a series on Advent and release it during the season of Advent. Um, and, and actually, if you are interested in the liturgical calendar and sort of that idea, we have another episode. And I'll look it up <laughs> here in a second, <laughs> the name of it and the episode number. But um, And anyways, all of that to say, Happy one year of releasing podcasts. Oh, really? This is one year. When we wow. release this, it'll be the uh, Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Wow. And I think the Sunday before Thanksgiving last year is when we released episode one and two. Very cool. So, Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you for, for putting up with me for well, thank you. <laughs> this long. And thank you, listeners, for returning. Yeah. Thank you for, <laughs> uh, it seems, as continued growth. The numbers have crept up month by month. So that's been cool to watch. Yeah, not bad for five steps below public broadcasting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So with all that being said, maybe you could lead us off with um, just what, you know, what is Advent, sort of the the idea that uh, Advent represents in the the church and the liturgical calendar. Yeah, sure. And and you you don't need to be a part of, a lot of times if you're a part of liturgical sacramental kinds of churches, uh, you don't really think about it at all. Mm. And if you're a part of the the more free-flowing uh, churches, it's an offensive thing, generally. Yeah. And why so, is that? Uh, we're not Catholics. We're okay. Protestants. It's, so it's like, like a, a lot of Protestants. <laughs> you know, Methodists would like to have a word with you. <laughs> Presbyterians. Because the Methodists follow it, right? Yeah. 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 All, so, But evangelicals and charismatics t- and Pentecostals tend to have a chip on their shoulder because right. they're a quote-unquote low church, <laughs> which I say embrace it. Yeah, we're the low yeah. lifes. Uh, and so, yeah, so there's they, they see it as uh, 
as a way of uh, impending the spirit or something like that in mm. your life, which is, I see it as a way as, as of connecting to an ancient future faith. That's why it's important mm. to me. I want a faith that's not just my personal opinions. Okay. Uh, even though I've been accused of that and, and, and they're not wrong. Uh, but I mean, doesn't that happen to every pastor on a certain level? Yeah. So, so as a pastor, you know, from when I was in that world, uh, you had to come up with a series of teachings, you know, pastor Dave is going to do, uh, and so, you know, then it's, you're just going to be stuck in your own, you know, way of doing things, Mm -hmm. you know, some, some churches try to, I know Calvary chapel, they tend to teach through the Bible kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. so it's just a Bible study, basically a Bible study sermon. Okay. So liturgy though, takes more general themes Mm. from the life of Jesus himself. And that's what attracts me to it is because by personally entering into the liturgical uh, calendar in in a very real way, I'm entering into the uh, life, the teaching and the events of Jesus Christ. And then my life becomes intertwined with that. So his resurrection is my resurrection. My death on the cross, or his death on the cross is my death. Uh, That kind of thing. Right. So so it becomes intertwined. And I become aligned with millions of believers who follow that, the the liturgical calendar throughout the centuries. Yeah, I mean, if not more, right? Probably billions, if you count... Throughout the centuries? Yeah, billions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we're talking, you know, the Greek Orthodox and the, all the other Orthodox family mm-hmm. of churches, the Roman, uh, and then the mainline Protestants. So. And, and for any of you interested in uh, diving deeper into this idea of a liturgical calendar and the history and ideas around it, uh, episode seven, it's called Living Sacred Time. Yeah. Uh, and David and I um, really unpacked the idea as a whole. Yeah. Um, so getting back to Advent, what, what's within the, within the calendar, what is the, yeah. Why does Ad? why is those four weeks stand out? Yeah. So Advent is the first season. So the, the church year, the, the sacred year, however you want to call mm. it begins with Advent, which is at the end, usually the last Sunday of November into December. So it's, so in the chronological year, it's it begins so it's kind of a counterintuitive kind of thing i don't know yeah. if they did that on purpose i think they did i didn't uh, i didn't realize that was technically the beginning of the calendar church yeah so the, the end church. of the yeah the end of the the chronological year is the beginning of the sacred year mm. and so it kind of so you have these in my mind it gives you uh two circles moving in up in you know one in uh, uh you know, one moving clockwise and the other one counterclockwise. And and so kind of, you know, for me anyway, it 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 gives me that kind of a counterintuitive mm-hmm. way of seeing time. And so so Advent, yeah, is the is the first season. It's usually paired with two others. They come in threes. Uh they're they're kind of the seasons of light, mm. the seasons of illumination. Uh the idea is that Advent begins in kind of the dark and then candles begin to mm-hmm. be lit. So it begins to glow and it becomes a little brighter. And then Christmas gives mm-hmm. birth to Christmas, which is an illuminating mystery. Uh, the arrival of, of Messiah, 
of God taking on human flesh, the incarnation. And then it ends with Epiphany, which is uh, the early revelations of who Jesus is in the scriptures. Uh, You know, so as son of man and son of God. It's funny too, because as you gave that description, the thing that came to mind for me, and I I guess I never realized it's significant, but for some reason, I always loved the Advent candles. Yeah, it's a during great Christmas, tradition. Yeah. Christmas time, and and um, and just that that because I remember the they always the color would always seem to be like a dark purple. Yeah, you know adornments or what I think that's what it's called um, in the church, and then each week you lit the previous week's candle was burning. And right, you would light that week. I mean, we do it here; it doesn't rain as well. Right, yeah. yeah. And I, if I'm not mistaken, I think a lot of the Advent and Christmas kinds of traditions that Americans generally do are from Germany, if, uh, if I'm not mistaken. The Christmas tree and that kind of stuff. And, yeah. and so, yeah, so a lot of, for a lot of centuries, Christmas was not a big deal. It was just a feast day. You went to church. Um, that was about it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't super big, especially amongst Protestants. It was actually illegal. In Oliver Cromwell's uh, <laughs> really? England, may he uh, may he rest in strife uh, <laughs> forever. <laughs> the good the guy, good Irishman coming yeah, out in you. Yeah. <laughs> so so it was illegal to you know for these uh, pagan uh, English people to uh, cook a goose on Christmas, you know, and wow. do some jail time, you know. Um, and I could see modern evangelicals, some of them trying to bring that back, bring back those good old days. In America, you know, of not anyway. not celebrating Christmas. Yeah, I think they would definitely go really? for that. Uh, they are. I'm talking about the ones who send you the emails that the Muslims are three steps away from uh-huh. uh, bringing Shahira law to the United States. Right. No, they're the actual people that want to bring it. <laughs> kind of religious they're, kinds of laws. They're the ones. Uh, what's it called? Um, protesting at funerals for soldiers and things like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> The and real so, extremists. So it had, and their and their opposition was that it had pagan roots, which it did. You know, it was the mm. uh, the longing for spring kind of thing. You okay. know, especially particularly in Europe, it's really cold. Yeah, you know, winter's in the winter up there time. Not it's fun. not a fun time. So the solstice and is really just a hopeful thing of yeah, let's get through this winter. Well, I could uh, see how that would translate, as you know, as the Puritans came over and stuff. In the Northeast. Yeah. The winters yeah. up there are terrible as well. And it's interesting because it wasn't until the 1800s that Christmas became popular the way that it is now. And what? it was uh, it was pop culture that did it. It was uh, Charles Dickens. Oh. He wrote a book called, uh, not too many people, a very obscure in the shadows book called A Christmas Carol. Yeah, no and, one's familiar with that one. <laughs> and almost a Christmas cult was born in, in really? Anglican cultures. As a result, people would line up. Uh, I don't remember. It took maybe a month to move his. So he, he didn't write it as books. He wrote, I was going to say it was like in a magazine. Yeah, or he wrote right? in serial magazines. Okay. And so in installments. And so people would wait at the docks, like, you know, the way they would wait for iPhones now, waiting <laughs> to get, to yeah, to find out what's going to happen to Tiny freaking Tim. And, uh, and so that, and so. Wow. You know, and, and Dickens had a social justice message for sure in all wow. of his work. Uh, the the victims of the Industrial Revolution, the poor and children, in particular. Was he a Christian? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, and so, but he was a social justice minded yeah, 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 Christian. Right. And, and so, yeah. So then as a result of that book and the labor movement and other, you know, things in America, uh, um, uh, factory owners began mm-hmm. to give, uh, the workers a day off. How generous. <laughs> right. Them, right. Uh, and so then, yeah, the modern Christmas oh. kind of thing was, was born from there. But it wasn't always, yeah, a huge mm-hmm. deal. And then, of course, once the advertisers got yeah. a hold of it, then it became. <laughs> yeah. Like any good, once the advertisers get a hold of it, that's when you know it's a real, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a real holiday. I think Halloween is trying to catch up, though, man. Yeah. I think the, the witches and goblins are running full speed to catch that Kringle. Well, even, I mean, but even now, you, I bet we could go to Lowe's or a Home Depot somewhere and there's already Christmas. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was at some on. home store. Didn't even have a sign, so I don't. I might have. We might have walked into another dimension. I think it was called Home Store. <laughs> I think there is a place I, called. Is that. there? I think so. So bizarre. I'm not. Uh, I'm not an affiliate or an advertiser for Home Store, but uh, there. This was in August. I was looking for a martini set, so I want to get a little hot, more high class in my drinking. Right. And uh, and just stumbled onto this store. And I was sober. I didn't stumble. Right, right, right. You weren't in a blackout looking for martini glasses. (laughs) Give me the glasses. (laughs) But they were putting up Christmas stuff in August. So So anyway, yeah. So So, Advent is is the first of the three, the triad of these three seasons. And I mean, obviously all these things, similar to the Christmas thing, all these take, become installed in the church or popular within the church. Obviously, not from the beginning. Like, obviously, Advent wasn't there in yeah. the early church. So, when when did that right. actually become a thing within um, Christianity? Yeah, and that and that's part of the problem that more uh, biblocentric Christians would have with it because you know it's not in the Bible itself. Jesus no didn't season. celebrate Advent. Yeah, he didn't say, "Hey, I'm giving you Advent." <laughs> so, that, and that's their problem, you know. I see. Uh, the Bible also doesn't have cars, so anyway, right. uh, it doesn't have a lot of things. computers or things like that. So, but anyway, uh, yeah, from my understanding and my deep research into Wikipedia, um, <laughs> uh, I believe it was around the uh, fourth century, late fourth century, when it became institutionalized. Okay, which means it was probably much earlier, mm. where and it probably has monastic origins. So. So a little bit of history. Uh, the the Roman Empire breaks apart. Uh, the Christian Roman Empire, mm-hmm. the Christian nation, uh, began to just break apart, and uh, the central government fell apart on, on the Western Front in mm-hmm. Italy, not not the Eastern one in Constantinople, uh, and so um, which is Istanbul today, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And. Um, and so basically Christianity, the, that formal early Roman church basically was, was in chaos and disarray. And so the monastic houses basically preserved oh. Christianity in that, in that way. And so had a greater influence, if you will, yeah. on what, on what uh, the Christian narrative was. And so monks are very much into asceticism, you know, fasting and mm-hmm. prayer and beating yourself <laughs> and beating up each other Walk, walking barefoot yeah well, i guess they these, probably did that anyways back then yeah yeah probably. <laughs> and so advent was a yeah was it was a, a severe season of repentance and penitence oh. uh 
That's why the purple vestments. Oh, really? That's a the color of repentance. Uh, Interesting. I had no idea. Yeah. So in recent years, like in the 20th, 21st century, those colors, that the emphasis on repentance mm-hmm. and fasting and, and doing good works, that kind of thing have has kind of lifted off. Mm. And it's more into a hopeful expectation of what God is doing. And so, so was so was the idea of the repentance sort of connected to what what you're talking about as far as like the expectation of Christ coming, like you wanted to be pure, yeah, so yeah, to speak. Exactly. It's a response to John the Baptist preaching of repent, mm. the kingdom is at hand, prepare yourself. Oh. Uh that kind of thing. Okay. So, yeah. And so and and as it's shifted in the 20 and 21st century to this idea of arrival and um, expecting the Christ, what, what what has that? How has that shifted in the church? If if you know, yeah, well, for sure, Vatican II in 1960, kind of it was more of a kinder, gentler church, <laughs> <laughs> and probably some influence from the Protestants as well, mm. the the ones that still kept. The, you know the, the what we call the mainline mm-hmm. denominational Protestants they began to do that early on uh, I think a lot of them even changed the colors out to blue mm-hmm. so that the season had its own colors because Lent is purple oh, and so they want to have okay. its own distinctiveness you know and that mm-hmm. kind of thing and so so yes yeah, so for the longing of a Messiah the longing for which is the same as the longing for justice for the oppressed in this world uh a longing for justice for those who have been ground down by whatever empire is ruling the world. Mm-hmm. And so for Jews, it's empire after empire. Right. It's you know, a, I started from Egypt, all, yeah, Babylon, uh, Greece, Rome, Europe, uh, Nazi Germany, uh, you know, on and on and on. Um, and so, so it's a longing for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that God would would these are these are the prophetic scriptures of the Jews that God would would tear the heavens open and enter into the situation of the oppressed and bring justice. Um, it's the cry of the prophets, mm-hmm. and so there's this longing for a Messiah, God's Son, to uh, to enact this and bring this on. And there's a there's a from what I understand there's a from courses I've taken and and. Uh, Conversations I've had with rabbis, uh, the the mis let me go back. The misunderstanding amongst Christians is that the 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 core of Judaism, the center of Judaism, is waiting for this Messiah to come, and that's 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 not true historically. They're, they're they get Messiah fever every now and then. <laughs> you know, the eighteen hundreds. I think there was a time, or seventeen hundreds rather. Okay. Uh, Around the time of Jesus, the turn uh, of the, the what we call the first century, there was they had Messiah fever. Uh, so it just depends on on the the uh, you know the, the the dynamics of the culture, but but it's not the central thing of Judaism, uh, from my understanding. Mm-hmm. You know, if you talk to a, a rabbi, uh, it's important, but it's not the. So, whereas we Christians would say, "Yeah, they're waiting for the Messiah," but we already, you know, that, we already that, acknowledged we him. already acknowledged him. We're we're better than you are, you know, that kind of thing. And um, so, would the idea be yeah. that they kind of got that Messiah fever around that time that Christ lived? Right. Okay. Yeah. Remember, Jesus says, 
in the Gospels. You know, there are many who have come before me claiming that they're the one, and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And so uh, it's, it's, that, it's that kind of a thing. So, yeah, and I think in the 1700s, there was, it was amongst uh, Hasidic Judaism was very focused on that. And, mm. and they've chosen different rabbis and figures as this was the Messiah. And so I, I think there's currently one in uh, Brooklyn right now. That, that <laughs> really? Sex, That's amazing. Yeah, that thinks that this guy is the Messiah kind of thing. And so... So yeah, so that's that's kind of what Advent is mm-hmm. inviting you into, uh, and so I, I think I just took us the wrong. No, direction. no, I, no, I actually I, it it's part of kind of going back to the beginning of it though. You kind of mentioned some of these key things like light and darkness, um, yeah. the arrival or the expectation um, yeah. of this Messiah. So kind of within maybe you could touch on some of those different. Um, key ideas yeah let me and, and how it how it connects with this this season yeah so so there's basically three arrivals if you will three advents within the season of advent okay there's three emphasis so the first is uh the the second coming of christ there's this expectation that he will come again to judge mm-hmm. the living and the dead and and uh all who have died will rise again and 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 a, some sort of judgment will occur the judgment of the empires and the the powerful mm-hmm. so this justice will be brought at this so so there's this emphasis on the end times uh that we are in the last age now and uh and it was instituted by Jesus 2000 years ago and we're in this age uh this eon if you will um and so so that's the first one and then the second perspective or the second arrival is is to enter into the longing of the prophetic longing of the Jews for mm. Messiah. So, so because it was important for early Christianity to stay connected to its Jewish roots, mm-hmm. um, and and to score points. You know, this uh, Jesus is our Messiah. You know, we we were right, you're wrong. You know, so so. Oh, I see. So the, it was almost kind of like a uh, not a war, but yeah. a one a one up sort of thing. Yeah. So if you read the Gospel of John. The historical context behind that. So, in the early church, the early days, you know, right after Jesus, uh, there wasn't a lot of problem between Jews and Jews who believed in Jesus. They they they, they met at they the same along. synagogues. Okay. It was just a dialogue. But at some point near the end of the, uh, I believe, the second century, maybe the end of the first century, um, a bitter a bitter split occurred and they mm. were the the messianic jews the jesus jews uh were were kicked out of the synagogues and so a bitter very bitter infighting and the gospel of john reflects that okay and so and then when outsiders like us like gentiles see that uh the, and then when and when your centuries removed it comes across as very anti-semitic Oh. And so, either the Gospel of John is offensive to you because of its anti uh, appearing of of anti semitism, or <laughs> unfortunately they use it for their own anti semitism. You know, so so they you find a tool to justify. Yeah, their, and I've seen that. Racism. Yeah, yeah. I think the idea. So there, one idea in Christianity is that uh, the Jews were chosen as God's uh, chosen 
race right. and chosen people. Right. But now he's rejected them. And the church is now the, has substituted. That's this uh, one. Is 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 the you know it's a racist. It's a convenient. Yeah, yeah. It's way a, to look it's at terrible it. theology. Yeah. So anyway, so so the, you want to be connected, but still be, in my opinion, in the twenty first century, to be respectful to Judaism, mm. uh, to be reverent towards uh, mm. Judaism, and so we can't deny that Christianity is in debt. Mm-hmm. And has roots to Judaism, um, but we also have to realize it's a very touchy issue to claim yeah. that Jesus is is the Messiah. It's a very touchy thing, and so a very delicate conversation still needs to occur. Very respectful, and especially in the light of the Holocaust and and centuries, of, not just the Holocaust, but uh, the treatment of Jews in um, throughout Europe. You know, throughout the history, medieval period, and. And others, you know, the reconciliation needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's in the church, particularly, you know, the church's view. And Protestants don't get off scot free. I'm thinking of you, Martin Luther, <laughs> some of your letters that you wrote, you know. And so, um, so yeah, so that needs to happen. So, so you enter into a longing of the ancient Jewish prophets. That's mm-hmm. so it's a looking back at that. Okay. And then the third arrival is, uh, the 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 emergence of Jesus spiritually in your own life and heart mm. returning to you, and even by Augustine, they'd kind of given up on a literal in, in a lot of ways a literal return of Jesus, and Augustine was already saying way back in in those centuries, uh, well he returns in the liturgy every year, mm. and so which I don't quite hold it you know I, I think there is some sort of historical event but I'm nowhere near the Hal Lindsey crowd. Uh, and uh, the popular evangelical view now, the Left Behind series. You mean sort of like this idea of like uh, what's depicted in Revelations actually coming to right, right, okay. yeah, yeah. That's pop culture, and mm-hmm. it's it's uh, fun to eat Cool Whip if it's on a piece of pie. But you only eat Cool Whip for dinner <laughs> for for a week, or you don't even want a Cool Whip pie. Yeah. Like it's just an addition exactly, to the yeah. pie, and that's what that is. This obsession with end times and that kind of thing. So, so how, how would you, and, and this kind of goes back to, we were joking earlier about the show uh, preparation this week, but so how uh, would you have that hard conversation? You, you mentioned it a few minutes ago, but Jesus talking about the end times. Yeah. So you, that is there's, a difficult thing. there's a lot of things in the new Testament, right. That yeah, point yeah. to Jesus saying these things or alluding to things. Um, and then what we just discussed right now of like people in modern times grasping that yeah. and being like, this is, this is what it's all about. Yeah. These end yeah. times are right around the corner. They'll yeah. set dates even, right? Yeah. I remember at Dolphin Terrace Elementary School in 1977 on the playground. Uh, the Antichrist is being born right now somewhere in the Middle East. Uh, he's a kid just like us. Uh, you, know, and the, you know, so it's always been that way. Uh, early, Francisca, early Franciscans thought that France, after St. Francis had died, mm-hmm. that he was the second coming of Christ and that the current Pope, uh, I forgot was, who it was, was, the was the Antichrist. Yeah. <laughs> so, it was, you know, so it's always been these kinds of, the Jehovah's Witnesses are based on predicting dates and, and that kind of thing. And and Christians that are really into end times love to slam Jehovah's Witnesses. And it's like, well, 
You're yeah. a half a step away from that. Say, what are you talking about? Hand hand. Westboro Baptist, you renounce them. You sound exactly like them. You're just a little nicer. You believe what they believe. And so well, you're just a little bit nicer about it. And so, uh, yeah, nice, niceness is, is toxic. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, uh, there, so there's always been the difficult thing, at least it was difficult for me, is that it, if you follow, you know, one of the rules of reading the Bible with evangelicals, okay. one of the rules is, is the main thing, the plain thing is the main thing. That's one of the rules. So to not read into it too much? Whatever, when you're reading it in English, this, that's, you know, this breaks down well, very quickly. Right. Yeah. You're reading it in English. It's kind of like uh, the governor of Texas, I'm a hog <laughs> in the 20s. Apparently, when the English-Spanish issue came up, uh, you know, is Texas going to be English only, uh, an English only state? Right. She held the Bible up and apparently said, if English was good enough for Jesus Christ himself <laughs> to speak, it's good enough for us. It probably didn't happen, but it's funny. Um, it's, a good, it's, a good, uh, it's a good visual for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there's this rule that if, if something seems very plain when you're reading it in English, uh, then it's the main thing. Mm. And so, and to take it a little deeper, there's, there's the, the rule of hermeneutics, it's a fancy word for uh, a, a scripture or a text in scripture can only mean what it meant to uh, the one who wrote it and the audience to whom it was written. So that's, that's a conservative evangelical position of the scriptures. Okay. You have to take, in other words, the context. Um, so doing that, it becomes very difficult to deal with end times yeah. issues because the main thing is the plain thing. It does seem very clear that Jesus was expecting this divine event of mm -hmm. final judgment to happen uh, even before he went to the cross. Um, seems that there was an expectation for that. Uh, Paul, in his writing, seems clear. The main thing is the plain thing, that, that the end of the final judgment was going to happen within his lifetime within paul's lifetime. yeah right. so there definitely seems to be an expectation and it did not happen and and that's very controversial for bible believing christians it's hard for them to accept that that happened or didn't happen and and it was the expectation and then it changed as it went along where is your where is this kingdom Pilate asked jesus and he said it's not of this world mm. so it begins to shift it begins to change and uh and the early church had to change its interpretation. And it always has been that way. And that's hard for people to, uh, who, who are uh, wounded with uncertainty yeah. in their lives. They, they, they don't, you know. So, 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 and it sounds like maybe you're still, there's still a little bit of wrestling with it within yourself, but. Yeah, definitely. What, you know, how has that evolved, let's say in the last like 10 to 15 years? of seeing that Jesus is is talking about these end times, expectation of it, you know, yeah. close to, either within his lifetime or closely thereafter. Yeah. Um, Paul, same thing. Um, and then also, you know, we have, like we said, the modern day people that are obsessed with the end of time. Yeah, it's right? very popular. It's, a, it's yeah. an industry. It's a Absolutely. lucrative yeah, yeah. industry. Yeah, you can go to any bookstore, I guess Amazon now, and and there's hundreds, yeah. if not thousands, of books written on yeah. end times type stuff. And and just as much you can find 
hundreds of books written about cults that their focus, you know, even outside the uh, lens of Christianity, yeah, that were also obsessed with right. end times, right? And so, kind of, kind of, what has that evolution been for you, or like how how do you how do you explain that? I guess just to yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I've definitely had have had to shift, and I, I never really had that that issue in the sense of. In my younger days, uh, for some reason, I was not interested in okay. the end times. It wasn't something that captured my imagination. Uh, I, I don't know why. It just yeah, didn't. Interesting. I, uh, other things did. When I saw Close Encounters of a Third Kind and when I was like seven years old, <laughs> that talk, captured yeah. my imagination. I was like, <laughs> wow, are, are there extraterrestrial, you know, and E.T. when I was like 11 years old. That was a big movie, right? And, That's so funny because I know we've talked about it off mic. Yeah, you know your, you know this fascination maybe would be the right word. Yeah, with yeah, extraterrestrials or aliens, um, but that the the end times just kind of yeah, like, it just wasn't interesting to me. Yeah, I, so right. I I don't know why. Uh, and you know, in the Catholic Church, growing up in the Catholic Church, they don't emphasize it. Mm, that's true. And then for some reason, I think it was an anomaly, but the the uh, the Vineyard Church that I grew up in mm-hmm. also did not, and okay. the and the Vineyard as a movement has never embraced that, the popular understanding of end times, uh, you know, the Left Behind series and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, and so they adopted what, what we call a, a kingdom theology, not kingdom now, that's a different thing. Okay. But, but kingdom theology, which is uh, the kingdom of God is the presence of God bringing uh, the world to come, which is a world mm-hmm. of justice, a world of equity, a world of uh, healing after brokenness uh, and brokenness of all, uh, you know, of all the, the entire spectrum of brokenness, physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, and mental. Yeah. And, uh, and so, so it's the restoration of all things. Okay. And that uh, was initiated at Jesus's first preaching. Uh, Franciscans would say, no, it happened at his birth. God broke in. God stepped out of eternity and into time. Stepped out of divinity oh. and into humanity. Okay. Um, so the, the the Christmas story, right, is the first act of it, I guess. Yeah. If, if you're going to put a timeline, yeah. kind of thing on it, don't mean to offend any Buddhists out there <laughs> who, who laugh at who laugh in the face of chronological time. Right. Uh, there is no birth. There is no death. Uh, and so, so yeah. So it was initiated. And then it was demonstrated by his acts of healing, mm. exorcism. Uh, but then it was brought to a culmination at the cross. Uh, he he dealt with death. He dealt with uh, sin by becoming death, entering into death, entering into the heart of brokenness and sin. Um, and then and then transforming all the darkness, transforming all the tr- the collective trauma of the cosmos. In the tomb and and transforming it into resurrection, so a new age began on the day of resurrection. A new uh, era uh, began, and it's breaking in now. And it takes faith to see it, and its currency is love. And so, that's kind of that's pro- that's my view mm-hmm. for sure. I think that's a pretty general view in uh, what I'm describing as kingdom theology. Well, and I think. 
the beautiful part of it for me is this idea of kind of make we were making the joke about the time, the chronological time, but with the way you just explained it, it basically becomes timeless. Exactly. Because there will always be broken stuff, whether it's people, yeah. society, um, even I mean, we can even look look at like our environment as an example, right? And so this healing power can break through me, can break through in you, yeah. can break through in, in groups, right? Like churches or society yeah. or whatever else. And and so it makes it, 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 it's that much more powerful. And I guess, um, not to cheapen it, but inspiring, right? Right. Instead right. of saying like, oh, well, you know, November 20th, 2025. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's when the good stuff will happen. Yeah, exactly. And that and that's kind of how I personally deal with uh, chapters in Matthew, like twenty four. You know, the there will be signs in the heaven, uh, the sky will be turned to blood red. You know, the the scary stuff that you see. Uh, what I take that to mean is that's really the end of my world. It's the end of my personal okay. salvation plan. It's the end of my own uh, way of being here on this planet, the way I carry myself, it's going to come to a termination. It's going to come to an end. And, and, uh, and so, it's, so it's an invitation to, uh, to grasp my own mortality. Uh, and that's an offensive thing as well for people, particularly Christians. Don't, they're, they're, they're death phobic. Well, it's and, a scary uh, you know, thing. Yeah. So it's easier. So, so, uh, yeah, we're going to a better place. Well, really, why haven't you gone there now? I wish the rapture would happen and he would leave, leave me behind and take all you people <laughs> away because you're causing most of the problems suffering. Uh, take the other religious zealots with you. Um, but anyway, um, but yeah, so it's, so it's an invitation to look into. And, and I think that is the obsession. I think people are avoiding, uh, naturally avoiding uh, the reality of their own deaths. Oh, Your personal death is coming. Um, you you will be uh, you could be lying on your deathbed and which will probably be your regular bed, uh, <laughs> uh, and um, have everyone around you that you've ever loved uh, rooting you on, but you still have to do that dying alone. It's a very terrifying thing mm -hmm. for a lot of people. You have to take that you know like, like the song says you know you have to go through that lonesome valley. Uh, and and so most people are are setting up their entire lives and really their faith to avoid that subject. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's kind of what Advent in time scenarios. I, I that's how I deal with it. Is that my own demise is coming? Mm -hmm. um, and even to rewind that a little bit and broaden it, we've talked about this a ton on the podcast. So I don't want to go too far into it. But it could even be your the death of your certitudes. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's not even your actual heart stop. Right. You know, it might just be these ideas and this framework that you've put together to navigate yeah. the world, um, but you forgot the foundation. Exactly. So the little earthquake happens, right? And it's it's demolished. And it, it might be a huge earthquake too. Yeah. We don't know how trauma and um, the unknown is going to approach us. Yeah, and that's where Buddhism and contemplative Christianity uh, have a very common thread, which is 
die the very small deaths every day mm. so that you could be prepared for that final death. Uh, and then the Buddhists would say, and then eventually there is no death. Right. And, but then, you know, it's another way of saying the Christians saying it's, it's all swallowed in resurrection. It's all swallowed in eternal life. It's all eternity. And so chronological time becomes irrelevant mm. and unmeaningful at, at that point. Um, but isn't in some cases can't that be uh, another topic we've talked about uh, the bi like spiritual bypassing? Yeah, you still have to do those little deaths. Yeah, so I so naturally I I spend my own like anybody else. We all are trying to build our little worlds. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, we have our little worlds. No matter how small bubbles. it is, it might be uh, having all the dishes washed at the same time. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, could be that simple or you have your set of friends and you have your 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 teams are winning and you're uh you know you have all this stuff and you're balancing it and the stocks you picked are up in the market yeah. today <laughs> and you've got your body spirit mind thing all your chakras are all aligned and, and all that well reality has a way of just uh uh what you're really setting up are pins and reality has a way of throwing a bowling ball at you mm -hmm. and your pins are going to go flying scattered. Uh, and that's really what, what we're talking about here, mm -hmm. you know? And so, so it's not about if I, cause I've had people who've gone through traumatic things or, or even just like, uh, or, or divorces and mm -hmm. things that didn't go as planned, you know, they lost their job. They, you know, it wasn't in the, in the plan. It wasn't God's, will for them and then this happened and then the natural thing is to try to if i can get my life back to the way that it was mm. and it's like no that, it doesn't exist anymore yeah. you can't step in the same river twice uh and then some would say you can't even step in that river the first time <laughs> and so um well, it, it, there is no going back to the way that it was yeah and that's that's one of the i think one of the things that was terrifying for me with the recovery stuff, right? Like, yeah, because there were good times in my life where I was drinking, right? I wouldn't have done it for as long as I did if it, if that wasn't the case. Yeah. Right. Um, but there was still like, as I was starting to get sober, and not drink, there was still a part of me to like what you're saying wants to go back to the good old days yeah, and like trying to find that. But you know, so then you, for me, it was like mental gymnastics. Well, maybe I could do it without drinking or the, you know, or the alcoholic mindset. Well, maybe yeah. I can control my drinking. So it's like that. Yeah, yeah. And it's just not the case. You, know, you can't go back in time. And, and, um, I'm interested to know, and it, I, I think I already know the answer, but the, whether it was, um, the septus you experienced, what, a decade ago? Yeah. Or your, you, you know, your, um, your heart surgery last year, sort of bumping up a little bit closer to death than the average person. Has that uh, changed your idea around the end of times idea? Or. No, uh, I mean, yes, 10 years ago for sure. Okay. It exposed. Uh, and it wasn't during the dying process. It was a year after. Oh, interesting. Unpacking the experience. Okay. You know, and, and having, spending the time of, you know, recovering mm -hmm. and then realizing most of my existential perception of myself is in my head. And I really do live most of my life in my head. 
And those are just thoughts, and those thoughts don't really exist. <laughs> so that was a very profound and disturbing and discomforting thing to mm -hmm. realize is that my memories, my opinions of things, my worldview, uh, who I think I am is all exactly that, just thoughts. And when I die, those, and those thoughts reside in an organ in my body called the brain. And when I die, that brain dies mm -hmm. with it is buried in the dirt or, or, uh, burned up, however. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was, so then the question is, well, then what the hell am I? Who am I? Mm -hmm. If I'm not my thoughts, if I'm not my memories, who am I in an eternal sense? Uh, is there an eternal self, you know? Uh, there were, there were all those kinds of existential questions. And so all that to say is that it resulted in me probably living less in my mind. Interesting. And more in my present reality, which is, uh, an integration of your body and your mind and, you know, your, your, your presence, if you will, even a deeper sense of soul, uh, and breathe, your breathing. And do you feel like that's an ongoing process? And the reason I ask that is hopefully this isn't too much insider baseball, but you and I are very common that we live a lot in our head. <laughs> yeah. I think most people do. Okay. Um, so has that evolved over the last 10 years where you feel like, because obviously we still have opinions, right? You still have yeah. uh, all the things you just listed, right? Right, right. Thoughts, Stuff that bugs me. Yeah, ideas, um, inspiration, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So over the last 10 years, has it just been a matter of, of identifying with those things less or what, what? Yeah, that's what it is exactly. Okay. Not as identified with them. I see. So it's not a massive transformation. It's just not being so uh, possessive okay. of my thoughts so possessive of what I feel because that could really change mm -hmm. and they don't need to be protected. So there's a less, less of a, uh, tendency to, to protect my opinions mm. and that kind of thing. Still do it, but it's not as much as, and so then when I went through the, the heart attack and bypass surgery 10 years later, this last, mm -hmm. uh, in 2020, it really felt more like a, a, a fire drill. Uh, interest. Yeah, it was very strange. It felt like a, like almost like a like in football where they have a practice, but it's just yeah, a walk through. Exactly. I felt like I was walking through it, and uh, and it, and it felt like I had been trained in it before. It was so bizarre. Uh, we were just talking yesterday, you know, about Alzheimer's patients, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and there's certain automatic behaviors that that people have. So Tony Bennett. Well, yeah, share that story. Yeah. So yeah. Tony Bennett has auto. He's, has sung is into for 70, I think a 70 year career. And so it's an automatic action. Singing and performing has been hardwired into his brain. And so they found out, you know, he's in Alzheimer's, deep in Alzheimer's. He's 95 years old. And he they put him on stage and he was able to perform flawlessly. He sounds better than Bob Dylan in his <laughs> wow. 50s. That's not hard. <laughs> His voice but, still but, smooth and his performance. He, and he's like 90 years old, right? 95. 95. That's and he recognized Lady Gaga, who's so they were when they were practicing, he didn't recognize her. Okay. And then when he introduced her on stage, he was clearly lucid and knew who she was. And then a few days later, after the performance, uh, they asked him what his thoughts were, how he did, and he didn't even remember doing the performance. Wow. He had no memory of it. And and they had it on video of him. Right. He's on a park bench with his wife and 
no memory. So, so it almost felt like the, that that's what it was. It was this automatic wow. response to my demise. Uh, and so it was, it was very, very strange, you know, not at the time it wasn't look, you know, when I get into mm-hmm. my head about it, right? it's strange when I think about it. And so, uh, so yeah, yeah. So I think that's what Advent's more about. And, and as far as end times and the events, global events, I, I think a modern contemporary approach would be, uh, you know, we are in an extinction event mm. globally. Um, there, there are thousands of species that are no longer on this planet. Uh, you know, the black rhino's gone. Uh, so th- this, these are real hardcore realizations, and we need to grasp with these, uh, grasp them, and and um, you know, and I, I, I'm not saying panic. I, I don't know how you can panic, but you need we need to sit in the tension of it. And sit in the morning and the loss of it. it. Yeah, for sure. And I think Advent is a is a great time to do that, you know. And uh, you know, and and looking at the shifting times that we live in now, you know, these are the you know, like the the saying and from I think it was Lord of the Rings. We don't get to choose the times we live in, mm. you know, but we can choose how we're going to respond to our times. And so maybe spend Advent, spend. Uh, rather than saying, oh, well, Jesus is going to return and it's all going to be... Jesus got it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Which was our our attitude in the early, in the 80s and 90s. Right. In the Vineyard Church, which was, uh, you know, we all thought we were the first ones saying this. We thought we were so clever. Uh, We'd say, uh, you know, because in Christianity, there's the, are you a pre-tribulation person? Are you a post-tribulation person? And so we would say, well, I'm a pan-tribulation. It's all just going to pan out in the end. And, and that was kind of our attitude. It's all, you know, yeah, right. regardless of how you read even the scriptures, it all pans out at the end. So why are you all getting your panties in a wad over it? What I really want to know is if E.T. is messing with people. That's more interesting. Su- and so, superhero <laughs> Jesus will swoop in and say Yeah, this. exactly. So I don't think that's an option either. That's mm-hmm. what you said, you know, like you said, bypassing. So, so Advent is a great time to to ask the question where are we going mm-hmm. and where are we in history uh globally speaking and you know and then even yourself where am i in the history of my family uh my my family has a genetic history everyone's has an ancestral history where am i in that in that story in that narrative uh what's the chapter you know mm-hmm. um, and sit with it you know when i i think that that it couples beautifully with one of the notes you sent me for for practical spirituality i found it better to not look to the future but to the here and now yeah you know and and um as you explained as you were explaining what you did just now that what popped to my mind is like using that the four weeks of advent as being intentional about what you just laid out where's my life yeah in the here and now where society in the here and now, uh, if you want to take like your faith community in the here and now, you know, your biological family, your chosen family, whatever, and just spend some time, uh, being intentional about that reflection. Yeah. Or or even taking, you know, I I define the kingdom of God and I've got, this is a, a pithy phrase probably derived from different authors. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just kind of a patchwork, but but the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the realm of God, uh, the messianic age, however you want, the presence of God, the gospel, however you want to call it, 
Christ, Paul the Apostle calls it Christ, uh, is the ancient past and the far-fetched future pouring in into this present moment, mm-hmm. meeting at this present moment. And so just taking that phrase and, and sitting with it, because at first it sounds like nonsense, right? Mm-hmm, right. You know, the ancient past is in the, is in the here and now. And the presence, and we're in the presence of the future right now at this moment. The future is pouring in, and the two are meeting in this present moment. Uh, sounds like nonsense, but I would say sit with that, not so much intellectually, but uh, but with your soul, mm. and to get a sense of eternity past and eternity future uh, in the here and now in this moment. Um, maybe one way to do that, very simple is go sit down in a park somewhere outside or even just in your room and imagine what the the patch of earth looked like right under your feet mm. uh, three million years ago and kind of begin to take yourself on an imaginate, you know, imaginative uh, trip. And, and how did that patch of earth that you're standing on at this very moment, in this present time, how did it change over the millions of years? And what are some of the things that would have been surrounding you? Um, and then try to take it into the far future, you know. Uh, there's a poem by Walt Whitman called uh, Brooklyn Ferry where he has that experience, it seems. Uh, he's, he's stepping, you know, this is during the Civil War, you know, so 1860s. He's stepping oh, wow. onto Brooklyn Ferry and he's feels the presence of people stepping onto that same dock and ferry 100 years from then. And it's been past that now. Right. So that's an amazing yeah. thing if you really give yourself to the passing of time. Yeah, it's closer to 200 years ago. Yeah. Now. Wow. So that that so so it's not just nonsense that I'm spouting. It's mm-hmm. it's a you know uh you know the Buddhists have these things called cones. The, the Zen mm-hmm. Buddhists will give you a nonsensical to get you out of your thinking rational mind. And that's this would be a Christian cone. The the kingdom of God is the is the uh, past and the future meeting and pouring in into this present moment, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, and sit with it, yeah, until you exhaust yourself intellectually, mentally, uh, cognitively on it, and then and then a new door opens up, the door of your heart to it. Um, yeah, and that could take days, weeks, months yeah. of sitting with that. Just that that one whether you're an image person or whatever, but just seeing yeah. the, the ancient past and the far future colliding yeah. here and now. And it's not new age mumble jumbo. This is, this is basic 101 contemplative monastic Christianity. This mm-hmm. is the Jesus prayer, uh, you know, from the Greek Orthodox monks, from the desert fathers and mothers from, uh, you know, the third century. Mm-hmm. The, their idea was that the mind descends into the heart mm-hmm. uh, and then the heart rises into the mind and, and there's this lava lamp <laughs> right uh, activity taking place uh what does it mean for my intellect my thinking patterns to descend into my heart what's in my heart you know the, uh, well that's where eternity is well it's so. a, it's amazing too because i've also heard it said that the dist- there's no farther uh one foot distance than from the mind to the heart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Heard somebody, yeah, I think uh, uh, an ex-priest named Francis McNutt 
used to say, I heard him okay. say that in 1987. He, he said, the longest trip you'll ever take is that distance between your head and your heart. And, you know, it's a little cheesy, but it's, it works. It's well, and I, yeah. And I think too, kind of how you said it too, but then also back up, right. From the heart rising. Yeah. To the, you yeah. know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's a two way thing. It's not, yeah, exactly. You know, not one. It's, uh, it's an inhalation and an exhalation, you know? Mm. And so, yeah, so that's, that's the looking forward aspect of Advent, the, the arrival of eternity, the arrival of the end, if you will, mm. uh, which is, you know, quite a trippy thing. It's beautiful. Though. <laughs> uh, and next week, uh, we're going to be talking about John the Baptist, I think, if I remember correctly. I think so, yeah. He's a major character, if you will, in yeah. Advent, a major figure, him. Him and uh, Mary and Elizabeth are the three, and Joseph sometimes in the in the readings, yeah. you know, of the of the church. Uh, so yeah, so if you're interested in following along biblically, so to speak, you can look up the liturgical calendar. Yeah. And in fact, I might put it in the show notes uh, when I post this what the readings are for those those Sundays um, that would have the Sunday that preceded this Tuesday that we released this. So. Um, it's funny because we're kind of going back to your evangelical roots, doing an Advent series. Well, that's true. Yeah, we're doing a series. <laughs> I didn't think about I'm that. I'm not even wearing now. Dockers. <laughs> uh, so yeah, thank you, thank you, Mr. David Morris. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Um, so yeah, this is week one of a four-week series. Uh, thank you to Monk Drums. That's what you hear in the background. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about um, Advent or just uh, Desert Rain community in general, you can go to theruined.com uh, and you can find uh, dispatches from The Verge and also our other series, Road to Desert Rain, um, where people share their story, how they ended up um, as part of the community. And that is drcrpod.com. Um, and that's it. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.